0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Crossroads, the infrastructure podcast of InfraLogic, part of ION Analytics. We are really excited today to welcome Jean-Valéry Patin, co-head of Energy Resources and Infrastructure at BNP Paribas, to talk to us about the bank's lending strategy, particularly with a view to energy security, the climate crisis and sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Jean-Valéry. Good morning, everybody. So Jean-Valéry, you've been with the bank for approximately, is it 23, 24 years now? That's right. You must have seen quite a lot of change in the bank's strategy in that time, in the lending activity of the bank, the types of projects, the types of sectors that you're covering. Tell us a little bit about how BMP's lending strategy has changed over your time with the bank.
1: Yeah, obviously over 24 years, it's uh, changed a little bit. I always joke that um, I haven't changed company, but uh, my job has changed, has itself changed quite a bit. I guess, you know, the uh, what we're doing today is a lot broader than what we used to do, both in terms of sectors, because the team started more as a power sector, but also in terms of product, because the team started really at the bank lending activity only. And today we, um, we have a broad array of uh, sectors that we cover. And a broad array of uh, uh, products including
0: capital market products and derivatives and products uh, among others fantastic what are bmp's current plans to move with the times to to adapt to the current needs of the infrastructure and energy sectors you know in, in my time covering infrastructure here at infologic we've seen you know a lot of shift from the traditional kind of toll road financing through to a large expanse of digital infrastructure renewable energy and now kind of energy transition deals as well. What's BMP doing to move with the times and to update its lending strategy? The company has
1: embarked on a, on a very public uh, journey of uh, transitioning and pivoting its activity. And besides those decisions at you know uh, the top level of the house and strategic vision, I think the other uh, important component uh, that you can also feel uh, with the people at, at the bank and also with the people that we even recruit that they feel that they are part of that journey. They are enthusiastic about that, and I am certainly as well. And I think that combination is, is a winning combination to uh, achieve the, um, you know, ambitious
0: goals that the bank has set to itself. And how does that involve perhaps new technologies that we're seeing in the energy space? And how are commercial lenders incentivizing the development of those technologies that are going to form the basis of our future economy?
1: I think that the topic of uh, technology, to be honest, is one that we've always had. You've had continued uh, changes and adaptation to technologies in our industry. Here we're looking at, you know, continuing that work, but in the context of a journey toward that energy transition. So there is a clear pivot in our activity with, you know, stated goals, uh, which is going to lead us to do less in certain areas and more in other areas and use our capital as well as our resources throughout those uh, selected uh, segments you know starting with renewables you know the bank has, has you know set up objective of growth for 2025 that are of rapid growth and so we're working towards uh, achieving uh, achieving that it's true for utility scale projects that we've been doing for a while now but it's also true of, uh, of uh, distributed generation because a couple of weeks ago another Chilean distributed uh, generation transaction which is you know the third that we've closed, and we've got another one that we're we're working on, just to give an example. And also, obviously, on the backing of all that we've done in Europe in offshore, we are working to position primarily in the United States on some offshore project. Uh, we've uh, supported Vineyard Wind, and, and there will be a lot more to come. The area of renewable itself has some sub-segments. You've also probably noted that more and more of the uh, renewable projects come associated with batteries. Uh, you know, for, for a number of reasons. So we've we financed renewable associated with batteries as well as standalone batteries,
0: particularly in California. Yeah, that's a really essential component of the renewable sector, isn't it? Battery storage and, and battery capacity, if you like. How are you seeing that playing out? Are you seeing enough being done? I was at a Reuters event last week. It was all about energy transition. And, and it seemed like a lot of the people were saying that Things just weren't moving fast enough. That seems to have been the, the message from the conference. Do you feel that things are moving fast enough in the implementation of these technologies?
1: In terms of the speed, I can mostly uh, opine of the speed at being prepared by itself. And it's been rather, rather a fast change that we've experienced. If you look only you know, three years ago at where we were in terms of our sector mix to, to today, that's been um, quite fast. I think, in terms of, of batteries, there's a key question that comes at play is a little bit, you know, uh, the economic feasibility as well. Right over time, probably the, the cost of the batteries, similarly to the solar panels, will, will will trade down, and and maybe at some point um, you will be able to achieve a, a greater portion of the energy stability through those batteries. It came to my attention that in addition to the numerous projects that we've supported in California, including uh, the Edward Sanborn uh, deal last year. Uh, you know, we were contacted in, in recent weeks for a bid situation in Chile for a project of around uh, 600 million of battery to to back up a transmission line. That's the first one that we're you know first one that we're looking at really in in Chile. So it shows probably that you know this is expanding. Now every you know country, every geography will probably do it at different speed. You know, some have a very uh, supportive regulatory framework, as you as we've seen in California, which have allowed us to to deploy capital. Um, in a number of transactions. You know, some have certain, you know, physical, geographical constraints. If you look at, you know, the shape of the geographical shape of uh, Chile as an example, that makes those batteries particularly interesting. And and tying the two elements we were just discussing, they can actually be coupled with the distributed solar projects, which would be an interesting development.
0: So what kind of new technologies are we seeing implemented today in in the infrastructure space to, to contribute to that energy transition, Jean Valerine?
1: So besides the traditional uh, activity uh, on the renewable side, I think we've got a couple of areas. The carbon capture is an interesting one. Green hydrogen and ammonia. So this is a sector we spent some time on. The IRA Act in the U.S. is providing very clear incentives for the production of green hydrogen, which is, you know, as we know today, very vastly derived from fossil. Activities And it is true also of some other countries. Um, Chile has started to try to develop also a little bit of a hub in the hydrogen, taking advantage of a strong natural resource. So that's an area where we're acting uh, both in debt uh, advisory capacity as well as in our engine capacity. At the beginning, some of the projects are very large. And so you need to be able to put a structure to them, which uh, in some cases includes you know, not just the wind farm and the electrolyzer, but even... You know, building a port or even access roads so they can be a, a relatively pharaonic project at times. And then obviously having a, a structure that's bankable enough to, to then raise financing. Those financing might be you know, from commercial banks but in many cases they will also involve development financing institutions such as ECAs or multilaterals. I mean you know for instance based on where the electrolyzer is being produced so there was a large project like that that was done in Saudi Arabia and there is a, a number of projects that we are working on and the idea um, you know is that this could then be used you know as a fuel in, um, in a number of uh, industries so Many use are being studied. You know, it could be used in shipping, probably further down the road for airplanes. You know, it has some use in uh, refinery processes, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in terms of the bankability, you know, many times what we need to develop right now, besides the construction aspect, is to have uh, a bankable uh, off-tech agreement that offers an anchor and that allows to mobilize large large financing. So I think that's one of the uh, challenges in that area of this uh, exciting sector for for the bank and for the market.
0: And you mentioned the bankability of the projects there. I think that's something that's key, isn't it? At what point do we see project finance in green hydrogen projects? Are you working? You said you have some, some mandates potentially with, with clients. Uh, could you tell us maybe without any specifics if you're constricted on that point, but if you if you'd like to mention kind of what it's going to take for for those projects to become bankable in project finance terms. You mentioned the off-takers, for example.
1: Yeah, I'll take, uh, to to keep it relatively simple, I mean, three areas. I mean, one, you need all the permitting done the right way, including, uh, importantly, environmental permits. Right, and that in itself um, can take time. <laughs> so that's uh, an important factor. and It needs to be to be done uh, respecting, you know, uh, local fauna, local population, etc. The second one is related uh, is related to construction. You know, these projects sometimes are so large that so you're taking the fertilizers to another level. Right. So, you know, which you requires a strong due diligence on the construction aspect. And also uh, you have different kind of players in terms of the uh, financial uh, strength that produce electrolyzers, which is another uh, another element of that construction risk. And then the third one, finally, uh, as, as you mentioned, is, is an off-take contract key to be able to, um, to give uh, an anchor that provides a certain stability to raise uh, an amount of debt and alleviate a little bit the, the capital spending for the sponsors. Um, so, you know, the project that's now closed in Saudi Arabia, for instance, I, I don't know take of air products, right? So it, it could be that you have an anchor investor. It could be that you have several off takers. But at the end of the day, you, you do need to have um, uh, a bit of a stability to the revenue that will uh, allow to mobilize uh, the senior debt.
0: Excellent. One of the other things that's interesting to me as as I delve ever deeper into the infrastructure sector and and watch these new technologies being implemented and and built up on those large utility scales is how investing and lending to traditional core infrastructure assets like toll roads and ports can contribute positively to the energy transition. What are you seeing in how those assets are evolving to incorporate new technologies? And not just in the energy sector but also including digital infrastructure technologies perhaps
1: yes i mean I, I haven't really uh seen that myself but i've heard about you know some projects where they they were for instance developing some uh, roads in europe and you had on, on the road itself you had uh, a way to uh the solar radiation to be honest we we haven't seen that here yet right but what we can see is that uh, everybody is is trying I'd say part of that journey is really a transition. So even when you look at our clients, it's not just where they stand today and what their mix of sectors is, is where they want to be and what concrete steps they're taking towards that journey and where they want to be in five years or, or in 10 years. Right. And when you look at that, you're seeing that a lot of the actors, And and certainly the one that we are focusing on have some objective. For instance, they will decide that they conduct a certain activity, and they will source green power. And that could be true for data centers. that will um, source it from green power, but it could also be true for other uh, near-shoring manufacturing activities in in the US or
0: even in in Mexico. And that's what we are really trying to support. Okay. And that leads on nicely to my next question of how you think the the industry is going to change in the next five to ten years to accommodate these different these different elements the, the nearshoring as you said the the use of green energy for projects sourcing green energy in particular what kind of changes do you think are coming in the next five to ten years that that maybe are quite novel or, or innovative?
1: So I mean, more on the uh, financing side of it, we we do expect that the Prevalence and growth of institutional investors will continue to increase. In that sense, the the market in the Americas is particularly developed, right? We already have a majority of the financing that are provided by those actors. And when you look at all the uh, fundraising activity uh, that has occurred with, you know, very uh, large double-digit billion uh, fund by, uh, by, by many parties, including many of them with a clear orientation towards the energy transition or the, digital sectors that we covered before. Certainly, you know, we think that that would be important. When when we work on that for us, the, what's interesting is that both sides are clients to BNP, right? You get a sponsor that develop the project and and then we might, you know, support the construction or, you know, the acquisition of such project. And then they might be taken out to the market, which, you know, are also clients of BNP. So we really view our role as, you know, f- facilitating development and also in that process bringing expertise like we've got a long history of knowing how to analyze a project and, and doing due diligence which is important because another uh, thing that probably is going to develop is new sectors so we mentioned uh, briefly uh, gigafactories for instance so this is uh, relatively new right and these are projects of uh, also a couple of billion dollar piece, right and so as you deploy that capital whether it's capital from uh, commercial banks or in some project in that sector the Department of energy in the United states you need to make sure also that you know you suddenly you move you know relatively fast but you also don't do mistake that could then have the effect of basically limiting the flow of financing to those sectors and and that's also that expertise that we've built through the numerous decades um in in
0: and and the processes and and the analysis of those projects. Excellent. As you mentioned, the large amounts of capital that's being leveraged from infrastructure funds and also debt funds. What can the public sector do to take advantage of this available capital? And we know here in the United States, when you mentioned regulation, we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act, the IIJA. Uh, So there's plenty of legislation here that's injecting capital towards the sector. How do you feel that that's being handled? And is the public sector doing the right kind of things to, to facilitate the investment? From all of the capital that's being raised by those asset managers to deploy the capital, you need clear rules of the game, uh, stability of regulation.
1: So the fact that you have, for instance, a vision up to 2030 where it allows you to make an investment today and you know have, have, have some stability, that's really important. I think it's applicable to to all the countries. What um, sponsors or investors or banks like don't like is, is you know the you know noise and and things changing all the time because they are making decisions today um, on the basis of a, a given situation and if it changes after the fact and that's a surprise well that's not going to be uh, very welcome. So developing that stability which obviously gives an edge to
0: to the countries that have always had a, a stable regulatory framework is a big asset. Excellent. And as a final point, how optimistic are you that the financial sector is playing a positive role in the energy transition and addressing climate change? And, and is there anything more that you think that your sector could do to contribute to those goals?
1: So the financing sector is very broad. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, it's going to be difficult to cover all of it, but BNP uh, has certainly been uh, at the forefront of, of uh, taking uh, you know, difficult uh, decisions, and, and some of them were, were done in the last few weeks, sometimes even no, renouncing renouncing uh, you know uh project bond mandates uh, if we uh, consider that this is with players that are uh, not seriously engaging towards that uh, transition so we're we're clearly uh, we've taken some uh, relatively uh, strong decision and and a very uh, clear direction now the you know what we see is that uh, a number of other actors are also taking measures to to support more the energy transition, that's what we need, right? Because as much as we have the biggest uh, bank in, in Europe, right you need all the actors together uh, to push in, in that direction. And so hopefully, the more uh, embark on that journey, the more uh, pressure it puts on the, on the others to follow suit.
0: Excellent. Well, those are some really interesting points. So thank you very much for, for sharing that with our listeners here at Crossroads. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. Be sure to stay tuned for future episodes of Crossroads. I'd like to thank our guests, Jean-Valéry Patan and BNP Paribas, and we look forward to receiving you next time.